You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. I don't know whether it's Eltham Baptist Church or something from New Orleans, but uh, thanks guys. <laughs> that was an awesome way to celebrate an awesome day, an awesome day. One of the wonderful things about being a father is you get to play with kids' toys, officially, and you get to read kids' books, officially. And one of my favorites was uh, Where's Wally? What, what mother or father hasn't just taken great joy in finding Wally? I thought it was pretty easy at first. I was kind of looking forward to this. I thought, no brainer. <laughs> There's a big picture of Wally. He's got, like, he's got a big red and white swan's hat on, okay? He's got a swan's beanie on. Yeah, sad. But you, you, you figure, you're not going to miss this guy, okay? You're not going to miss him. And I remember turning to the over the page, and, uh, and I could not find Wally for the life of me. I know, where is the guy? I thought, it's a trick, isn't it? I checked what ages this book was for. And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was a lot harder than I thought. We had a, um, in our household too, uh, we had a Christian version of it, sort of a Bible version, and it was sort of favorite Bible stories, and, and I can't remember who we had to find. It wasn't, wasn't always Jesus. I think it should have been, but you had to find some Bible character and several things. I think there was a Sammy the Sheep or something in it, and I'm waiting for a nod from one of my children. Yeah, it was. It was Sammy, Sammy the Sheep. Thanks, Amy. And, uh, and so you had to find, find Sammy the sheep in it, which was a little off, actually, because one of the best ways to read the Bible is to look at any story, any part of the Bible whatsoever. And given that, we know it is written by Jesus himself, the capital W word, the Logos, to look for Jesus and to find, well, where's Jesus in this story? Where is Jesus? And it's a great way to, to try and understand spiritual truth, to ask yourself, where, where is Jesus in this story. You see, it's very important, not just what you see, but, but what you believe. And, and when you see Jesus, when you believe in Jesus, everything is different. Everything is different. We have a common saying in the West, don't we? We love our sciences and so forth, that seeing is believing. And the inference, of course, is that if you don't see it, then you don't believe it, do you? But seeing is believing. But this is perilous. I, I recall after several years of working in the Victoria Police Force, I saw a lot. I saw a lot. And probably I think if I, if I had to just nail down what, what one thing impacted me most, it would, have been, it would have been the day that I was actually, as a, as a young single guy, I was making dinner for my parents. I just wanted to bless them. They'd blessed me for so many years. And, and uh, actually, my cooking wasn't entirely a blessing. But anyway, <laughs> apparently, it's the thought that counts. So, so I was cooking dinner for my parents, and they were just kicking back in the lounge room. And they said, Stewie, come in here. And, and at the time, I was, I was working in the city. And they said, don't you work in this area? And to my horror and astonishment, on the news, there was a, a report of a homicide of a Cambodian, Cambodian man who uh, just lived on the street. His name was China. Two days ago, I was speaking to him, and I was trying to find him permanent accommodation because it was just dangerous on the streets. He was a gorgeous guy. I remember finding him one day down Banana Alley. He was sleeping on the pier where he thought nobody would see him, and when I approached him, I remember he had just the few belongings in the world that he had, a little pillow, a little doona tucked up there, but the thing that really caught my eye which I just thought was amazing, was he had a little glass of water sitting next to him and a toothbrush sitting in it. That was China. 
streetless guy from Cambodia. I was working to get him into, into one of the Salvo homes or something like that. We had a bit of a language barrier. But unfortunately, on the Saturday night, some drunken youths had passed through Banana Alley, thought that they'd have a little bit of a fun with him, and, and he was no more. You know, I saw a lot, and I started to become a little bit tarnished about the way that I saw humanity. That, that, that optimism that one day we'll get it right, that one day, which ceaseless talkback radio seems to share, that optimism that one day we'll evolve. I just lost faith in that, I'm sorry. That wonderful humani- you know, humanist optimism just died, I think, at that point. So by the time I got to Bible college, things had to be corrected a little bit. I had no problem whatsoever with a theology of the fall of man. I, I, I believed it. I really believed it. What I had to rediscover was the image of God in all of us. And can it be restored? Can that be done? You see, sometimes... Seeing is believing isn't the greatest formula. It can leave you just a little bit despondent. Paul, in in his book, 2 Corinthians, and for those of you who are regular attenders here at EBC, you know we've been spending a little bit of time in 2 Corinthians. But Paul is answering some critics who kind of think that he's a fairly unimpressive guy. and, And Paul kind of answers them back, well, what do you find impressive? Do you believe in what you see? Because I look at what he's seen and I don't think that's very impressive at all. In verse 12 he, of chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians, Paul actually says, You glory, boast, are proud about the things that are seen. That is a very, very worldly point of view. And then Paul goes on, and this is the astonishing thing which leads us into Easter Sunday. He said, actually, from now on, we don't regard anyone from a worldly point of view, you know, from a what we can see point of view. We regard people from a different point of view of what is unseen. In the heart of a person, not what he's seen, but what he's unseen. What's in there, darkness or light? He said, in fact, you know, we used to regard people the way you did from a worldly point of view, what he's seen, the outward appearance. Indeed, we even regarded Jesus that way. Paul says that. He says, we no longer do. But he said, once we actually saw Jesus the way that you see us, just from a worldly, just exterior what is seen point of view but that's changed what changed that what changed that for paul why did he start to see jesus differently why did he start to see him not just as a man a good man maybe a teacher i mean there's more evidence that he did actually live and walk this earth than for any single one of us you've got your birth certificate jesus has four gospels written about him that beats you more likelihood he exists than you do sorry So he lived, but did he live as just a good man? Well, Paul said, once I thought that, but now I don't. What changed? What made that different? You see, Paul's got a different perspective. Not seeing is believing, but believing is seeing. And once you believe in God, you will see things that that absolutely transform your entire life. This, of course, is called faith. And I wanted to have a look at... John chapter 20, two two beautiful, two beautiful resurrection appearances, stories of of Jesus after his death. The first one happens or unfolds for us in John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Luke tells us that she was with a couple of other women. 
And she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and, and that's code in the book of John for John. All right. And they have taken, she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. So if you get the, get the story at this, at this particular point in time, you've got, you've got Peter and John running to the tomb. It's a little bit like if you could picture um, Ross Dawson and Jeff Barclay out on a hike together. So Ross is going to be the quicker of them, okay? So he, he passes Jeff and he gets to the tomb first. But then Ross is kind of cautious. So he stops there and he looks in and he says, ooh. But Jeff, well, he comes from a real estate background. He's been knocking on doors all of his life. When he sees one open, he's just going to go straight in, right? He is not going to wait for an invitation. And so, so a little bit like that, you know, that's John and Peter. John gets there first. Here's the quicker one, a little cautious. Ooh. And then Peter, whoa, he's just in there. You know, if there were angels in there, he would have been signing them up for rent. But... <laughs> There's Peter, and he's looking at these strips of linen, and, and it's amazing the detail that John records for us here, and it's significant as well. So he bent over, he looks, looks in, he sees strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter actually goes in, and he sees, and John records it again. It's like this is really significant. He sees strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Now, if this, was, if this was a woman writing this gospel, all of that would make sense. So much detail. Oh, the linen. Oh, look, that's untidy. They'd be thinking, you've got to clean that up. And the headpiece over here. This is John writing it. Why is he giving us so much detail about the linen strips and the headpiece and one's over here and one's over here? Here's why. Here's why. If the body of Jesus was just stolen, as would later be, be alleged, here's a couple of problems with that. Okay, firstly, who would steal it? Okay, if it, was, if it was the Romans, then the difficulty is this, that the centurions on guard were going to lose their life for this. So they're guarding, they're guarding a tomb, and then some people rock up and say, hey, uh, we'd like to steal the body. Will you help us roll the stone away? Sure, sure, of course, we'll die for this, but let us help you. You know, okay, that doesn't make sense. All right, who else would want to steal the body? Okay, maybe the Jews themselves, although why? They've got, they've got Jesus dead, right? What else, what's to be gained by stealing a body? But let's just say, okay, the body gets stolen and the Jews steal it. Well, here's, here's the problem with that. Firstly, we've got the Sabbath day, and, and the day prior to this, you know, there is no work. So, so the fact that the linen strips are lying there and the headpiece is lying there in the tomb, that that is actually the case, that's problematic because you don't touch a dead body. It's unclean. And the Jews know this. So let's say they came prepared with other linen and spices and so forth so that they could, they could take off some, you know, these, these dirty old linens and so forth that have obviously been used and had a, had a body which is, which is just about to start to decompose there and then they've, they wrap him back up to take him away well that's problematic too because of the sabbath day they just wouldn't have been able to prepare for that 
So, okay, who else would have an interest in stealing the body? Okay, you've got the disciples, but why would the disciples want to steal the body? And they've got the same problem. Being good Jews, they wouldn't be able to make the, the adequate preparations in time, and they, they wouldn't be able to leave the body thus, having overpowered the Roman centurions so that they would actually die. It's problematic all around. So then you're left with, okay, the body wasn't stolen. But why and what is significant about the linen strips lying over here and the headpiece lying over here? Well, if the body truly has resurrected, in what form did it resurrect? If it was in some new vaporous spirit type form, then certainly it would have just oozed through the cloth, right? And by virtue of that, when we have a promise that in the same way Jesus was raised from the dead, you too will be raised from the dead, you would have the sure and confident hope that one day you will be an oozy spirit that has risen from the dead. Not all that amazing, huh? Okay, so no, this body which has raised to life once more had to be unwrapped. Why? Because it was a physical body. There was only one way for that physical body to, to be able to leave that tomb and, and take on the clothing of a, of, a, of a normal person, which we will see in a moment Jesus did. That was to get rid of the strips, the many, many strips of linen, and to take off the headpiece and to, and to leave those behind. That means we're talking here about a physical resurrection of Jesus and all of these details, thank you, John, all of these details all of a sudden become very important. So John goes on and he says, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside and he saw and believed. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. You know, in that little statement that he saw and believed, we had an example for, for all time. What did he see? Did he see Jesus? No. He just saw enough evidence to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. He hadn't seen Jesus at that point, but he believed. And because of that belief, he would see more. He would see Jesus. He would see his risen Savior. He saw just enough at that moment to believe in what he was yet to see. And John, at that point, becomes our example that believing is seeing. There was just enough evidence there for John to take a step of faith and say, I believe. I believe. There's, there's no other explanation. I haven't yet seen him. This is impossible but it does make sense of everything that he said before. It makes so much sense, I believe. And later on, he was to see. And then the second story, and this is a, this is a precious one too, it follows right on. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? She said, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. You know, at this particular point, you can understand Mary's grief. I love that phrase, they have taken my Lord away. This must be one of Scripture's most tender moments. 
But that phrase, they have taken my Lord away, explains for all of those who are believers, it explains a lot of the grief and a lot of the pain that you endure in this life. There are moments where you, where you look at this world which belongs to the Lord and he is trying, this world is trying to extract Jesus again and again and again. They are trying to take your Lord away. And you look at different rulings by our government and you look, at, you look at what the media say and you look at what is going around you and it seems like everybody is trying to take your Lord away. And it makes sense, doesn't it, of the grief and the pain and the distress that so often we face in this life. Of course, you can be assured, just as Mary should, that he cannot be taken away. It may feel at times like everybody's trying to take my Lord away. Everybody's trying to take Jesus out of this. You can stand up for anything. You can... You can have any religion you want, just not Christianity, just not that Jesus guy, just not Jesus Christ. He's got to go. He's the dangerous one. Everybody wants to take the Lord out of things, but you know what? He won't be taken. You can never take that which is given. He won't be taken. She doesn't see it yet, but she's about to. Mary says, they're trying to take my Lord away. I don't know where they've put him. And at this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And the word for realize there means simply see, perceive, to know. She turns and she sees him thinking he might be a gardener or something, but she doesn't perceive. She doesn't, she doesn't know or see that this is, this is Jesus. She sees, but she doesn't see. And that's the problem, again, with seeing is believing. You can see, but do you really understand what is going on? Are you really absolutely 100% confident in your perception of life and reality? Really? Because it is very, very possible that you can see and not see. And then this beautiful moment where Jesus says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Don't you love that? <laughs> I'll go get him. What was she picturing? A fireman's lift? And Jesus said to her, Mary. That's all. Mentions her by name. My sheep will know my name. And he certainly knows theirs. I can imagine in that moment of hearing his voice, of hearing her name mentioned, that something was going on in Mary's mind. I, I imagine it was something along the lines of this, I know that voice. I know that voice. And turning, now she sees what before she did not see. And in verse 17, Jesus says, anticipating probably her desire to just run and grab a hold of him and to, to just embrace him. He says, do not hold on to me for now. I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers. He gives her a job to do and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. In other words, Jesus is saying to Mary, now you see 
Now you see. But don't hold on to this moment. There's more. There's more to come. And he speaks of his ascension. And it's important that he doesn't just leave this earth quietly. That he doesn't just one day disappear. Now you see him, now you don't. No, it's important that for the ascension, all of the disciples are gathered there. Again, he's going to give them just enough evidence to see something so that they might believe in what is yet unseen. Because believing is seeing. So he wants to make sure they're all gathered together for the ascension. And that, of course, happens later on in this, in this book. Tell the others I am ascending to my Father. It's important for them to see the ascension. Why? Why did they have to see that? Why did they need just that little bit of evidence, just, just to watch that moment where he holds out his hands, he blesses them, and then he, as it were, rises physically, in a physical form, right before them. He rises and then disappears. And Acts 1.11 tells us he, he just, just kept going until the clouds hid him from view. And a couple of angels asked them, hey, what, what are you guys looking at? And then they realize he's now departed. And why is that ascension so important? And why did they have to see it? Well, they had to see just enough again to believe in what was yet unseen. There was something more that they had to understand. So they see the ascension. And this is what they need to come to realize. This is what they have to believe. This is what they need to to believe in the unseen so that they no longer regard Jesus from a worldly point of view. So that like Paul, who says, we used to regard Jesus from a worldly point of view, what was seen. Now we don't anymore. We regard him from a spiritual point of view, what is unseen. That moment is now. In John chapter 17, verse 5, Jesus' high priestly prayer, he says, You will see me as I ascend I will have the glory that I had before the world began. And his prayer is that they, the disciples, will one day see that glory. The glory that he had before the world began. This is what is Jesus' um, inheritance. This is what he will receive once more as he ascends. Ephesians 1.22 says, All things were placed under his feet. He is the head of everything. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And then John, the same writer who produced that gospel for us that we just read those resurrection appearances for, John, imprisoned on the island of Patmos, maybe able to, to leave his quarters for a while and to walk around the island. And, and in this particular, on this particular day, he has a most extraordinary vision. We call it the revelation because it was given to him from God. And in that revelation, Rob Cole was just sharing this with us on, on Wednesday night, 4.12. There is a picture of Jesus you have to see to understand how all things will come to an end. I saw heaven standing open, chapter 19, verse 11. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Who do you know that is more faithful or more true than Jesus Christ? With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, 
and his name is, were there any doubt in your mind or mine, the word of God. This is Jesus. And he's not by himself. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's your ascended Jesus. That's why he rose from the dead. That's why he ascended. And that's why the disciples had to see that ascension take place. So they, they would see just enough to believe in what they didn't see. Have a vision which, which John alone was given the privilege of receiving. But to see Jesus in a way that is a spiritual reality but unseen by human eyes, to see Jesus as he really is, the glory he had before the world began. That's his glory. And everything that is wrong in this world, he will put right. Not your sense of right, not my sense of right, but what is right. He'll do that, absolutely assuredly. What is all that about? He's establishing his kingdom. Chip Kirk was sharing with us a few weeks ago, that is his rule and his authority and his power. He is establishing his kingdom, and his kingdom is wherever the king rules, wherever his reign is. That's the kingdom of God. And the significance is this, and if you believe it, you'll see it. Here's the significance. That kingdom is firmly established. We are told in Ephesians 1, that after the Father exerted the power to raise his son Jesus from the dead, he is now seated at the right hand of his Father, and his enemy are at his feet, and he is ruler over all things. He is head over everything. His kingdom is established, and his kingdom is in you. That happened at Pentecost, John 16, 7. This was the promise of Jesus. It is for your good that I go away. For if I go, I will send you the advocate. I will send you the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. I will come and dwell within you, reign within you, bring my kingdom inside of you through the Holy Spirit. That's what I will do. I will bring my kingdom reign and that kingdom reign will come into you and the very first thing to be conquered by your invitation will be you. My kingdom will rule over you and, and you will be everything that you were made to be. The life you've always wanted, it can be yours if you'll just let me rule. Let my kingdom come. Let my will be done in your life as it is in heaven. Let my kingdom be established in you. That's the life you've always wanted. Let it start there. Transform you and then transform the world. This is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27, the ascended Christ now lives in you. And yes, he has all conquering power. And yes, his kingdom has authority. And yes, he can help you overcome all of your fears, all of the dark spots of your life, everything that you know is just not quite right 
in my life, his conquering power can reign in you. There's the ascended Christ living within you. And if you'll believe that, you'll see it. You'll see it come, sometimes in power, sometimes incrementally. But the testimony, I think, of just about every Christian I know is, I've seen it. I believed. I first placed it, my trust in Jesus. I said, I've had a shot. Didn't do so good. You now have a shot. And as they endure, as they persevere, the character changes. The transformation takes place. And the testimonies are there. But here's the beautiful thing. His kingdom rule, which is established, it is done as a result of his ascension. Believe it. His kingdom rule, which now lives in you, that kingdom has no end. That's the really cool bit here. It has no end. It is forever and ever and ever and ever and eternity. And Well, we don't know what that's like. It's just the word for the thing that we don't understand that has no beginning nor end, huh? And that's, that's his kingdom. It has no end. And where is that kingdom? It's in you. So whilst, yes, your earthly body, the shell, the little vehicle we get around in, it will pass away. But the kingdom of God never will. And if that kingdom of God now rules within you, then guess what? The real you, the unseen you, the, the inner you, We'll live on and on and on for all of eternity. We now believe not just in the seen, but the unseen. And for some of us, that is really good news. We have a hope that will not disappoint. Years ago, the old Billy Graham crusades, there was a very, very popular song that they would often sing, and it's a great Easter song too, simply entitled, Because He Lives. And the words are, God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. And then anticipating that moment where this body will perish and, and something will last for all eternity, that inner us, he says, and then one day I'll cross that river. I'll fight life's final war with pain. And then as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. So Paul no longer regarded Jesus from a worldly point of view. He no longer saw him as just a man, just a teacher, good teacher, 
remarkable teacher maybe, or even perhaps, if you give him credit, worker of miracles. No. Paul said we no longer regard Christ from that point of view. We see him differently. We now see the unseen. We now see the ascended Christ who rules over all, whose kingdom has come and, and reigns within us, and whose kingdom is without end. Do you believe? The promise is that by believing, you will see. Believing is seeing. Let's pray. As we pray, I'm aware that for many here today, this, this day is simply a day of celebration, and here is a reminder of, of why we celebrate. A kingdom without end, that's, there's a lot to celebrate there. But as I said at the start, I'm also aware that Firstly, we need to see Jesus in the big picture of life. And there may be someone here today who you've still been puzzling over where, where does Jesus fit in. You haven't yet seen him in the big picture of life. Or perhaps you've had a glimpse, but you don't know where he fits in. And, and today's that day where you have heard him speak to you and you know it because there's just that funny little nudge in your heart which all of us had as we sense the hound of heaven on our path chasing us down with a relentless love that would not let go. And like Mary at the tomb, we've turned to him, we've recognised his voice at last and we've said, okay... I believe. And Scripture promises that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that he has risen from the dead, we will be saved. And maybe this morning's that, that moment where your life is going to be turned around where everything that doesn't make sense is about to make sense and where you enter into that glorious hope that, that we keep coming back to celebrate and share together, that hope in which his kingdom, which is in effect right now, now has an effect in our lives and for all eternity. And if you would like to make today that joyous moment, even as those kids are laughing in the corner, a reminder of the joy of heaven. Such a beautiful thing. That joy can be yours as well. You can also experience that release of laughter and joy within you, that freedom. By offering up just this simple prayer. God, for too long I've trusted that seeing is believing. And I'm going to give the other way a shot. 
believing is seeing. So many things in my life I would love to see. I haven't seen them yet. And I believe that you can make the difference. And I want to confess in my heart those simple words based on the promise of Scripture that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you are Lord, you are who you say you are. And in my heart, would you help me to understand what is beyond my comprehension, but lead me now as I take a step of faith and simply declare that I'd like to place my trust in you. You did die for my sin. You rose again and conquered death. You live forever. And you've asked if you can live in my heart. And today I'm saying yes, you can. Please come. Cleanse me from my sin. Let your kingdom rule in me. Let it come. So much that's wrong with the world, so much that's wrong with everybody else, So much that's wrong with me, but you can fix that. I believe. Would you open my eyes, the eyes of my heart now and help me to see? To see you for who you really are and to see so much of what you see that previously has been a fog. Jesus, quite simply, I'm yours. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.